Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Good day, everybody. My name is Martin Cech. I'm the president of the International Capital Market Association, and it's my privilege to moderate today's podcast. As you may know, we've been uh, uh, running a series of podcasts for the last 18 months on a, a number of topics which are of interest to our members in our, our core areas. And our core areas are really looking at the way the primary markets work, the secondary markets, the repo and collateral markets, and of course, the sustainable bond markets and sustainability more generally. And I'm delighted to uh, welcome today the New Development Bank and uh, Leslie Marsdorp, who's the Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Now, the New Development Bank is a new bank, um, as it says in the name. It's a multilateral development bank. It's been established by Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, the BRICS countries, with the objective of financing infrastructure and sustainable development projects in those BRICS countries and other emerging economies and developing countries. It's based in Shanghai and uh, very, very pleased to uh, mention that the New Development Bank is a member of ICMA, a very welcome member of ICMA. And I think we're very privileged today to have the CFO Leslie Marsdorp to talk to us. Now, Leslie is responsible for the Treasury, for the portfolio management, finance and accounting functions of the bank. And he's had a long career in both the, uh, the public and private sectors, including, I think, over a decade as an investment banker. Uh, and prior to that, he served in several senior leadership roles for the government of South Africa. But with that, I think I'm going to pass over to, uh, to you, Leslie. As we just mentioned, it's the, the newest multilateral development bank, and you are in a perfect position to provide us with um, a brief introduction to the NDB, to the, the rationale of the governments behind it in setting it up, its overall purpose, the way it's funded, its governance. So I'd like to hand over to you at this juncture. Thank you very much, uh, Martin, for uh, having me and also for ICMA and yourself in the leadership role that you are playing uh, in the industry in both looking backwards in terms of what we can learn and also uh, looking at the pointers for the future. As you mentioned, the New Development Bank was started only six years ago. So it is the newest multilateral institution, but it has already now in the past six years, and I'll just highlight the three key achievements of the bank. Number one, in this short period of six years, we have built up a project portfolio of approved uh, um, loans of just over $30 billion. That's from a zero start six years ago at 78 infrastructure projects with a strong focus on sustainability. That's probably the biggest achievement uh, for us, I would say. Secondly, the bank been owned by only emerging markets, having a double A plus international credit rating from uh, Standard and Poor and Fitch. It's also a significant uh, improvement. Thirdly, the bank has in its portfolio a very strong green and sustainable uh, character of our energy portfolio. For example, we're very proud of the fact that every single 
dollar have been invested in clean energy or renewable energy, uh, if you like, 2,800 megawatts of new clean energy uh, generated in the five BRICS countries. And we are now on the cusp of becoming a more global institution. We were only started by these five large emerging markets, but we announced uh, two weeks ago the entree of Bangladesh, of United Arab Emirates, of Uruguay, and we are in the process of expanding even beyond these uh, countries. That point I would make as a a very key moment uh, during COVID-19, as you know, over the last year and a half, what this last 18 months have have reinforced, the importance and the critical role of multilateral institutions in the world, uh, Martin. As you know, these institutions were the first ones to step forward. We were designed to be counter-cyclical in the nature of the essence of what multilateral institutions are and dealing with challenges like climate change, dealing with challenges like pandemics, uh, migration, uh, cybersecurity, financial instability, none of these can be dealt with by one country alone or by one national supervision or regulator alone. These problems and challenges are global or transnational in character. You have to have international cooperation in your responses to, to dealing with them. So we're very proud of the fact that we were able, Martin, last year to inject $10 billion of emergency loans Uh, to fight COVID and to aid the economic recovery in the BRICS uh, countries. So in short, it's only a five, six years, but we are more excited and filled with enthusiasm of what the future holds as we move towards designing new policies, deepening our sustainability focus as part of the effort to come up with strategies for for net zero. Thanks very much, Leslie. And uh, it is exciting. It's it's exciting to be starting a, a new bank completely from scratch so that you can really, um, you know, have nothing in your backpack and really start from, uh, from, from afresh uh, in exactly the way that you do. And many congratulations on the progress so far. I think AA plus is a fantastic rating to, uh, to achieve. It's so important for you in your funding operations. And you're absolutely right. I think multilateral development banks, they are the, the pioneers in terms of market developments. Uh, they're the pioneers in terms of opening new markets and in driving new themes in the market. We've seen that for a number of decades, and it's fantastic that the New Development Bank is, is taking such a, a leadership role. But look, you mentioned the, um, the focus on uh, infrastructure and sustainable development projects in the BRICS countries, and now a little bit further afield as well. Can you elaborate on the geographical reach of uh, NDB? In particular, you know, where are your projects going to be based? What is your reach in terms of the other emerging markets? And how, you know, we see from many times that many of the multilateral development banks, they work alongside each other in partnership in the various different regions. And I'd be very interested to get your, your take on that as well. Sure. I should have mentioned earlier on, uh, Martin, there's a very important foundation uh, element, uh, sort of part of the DNA of the New Development Bank is its emerging markets character. Now, as you know, multilateral institutions were created in the aftermath of the Second World War with the World Bank and the IMF being created then, and then a succession of banks during the 1950s and 1960s, and indeed also in the early 70s, following up with EBRD in uh, um, 1991. Uh, All of these institutions that I've just highlighted and mentioned, they have both non-borrowing members, which is the developed world, United States, Western Europe, Japan, and so on, and then also emerging markets. 
Over these past 75 years, though, you will note that even though there's been dramatic changes in the world economy, you've seen the rise of China in the last uh, 40 years becoming today, you know, a $15 trillion economy, the second largest in the world, but you still see a, a sort of a, a underrepresentation, if you like, in terms of the size and the proportional representation of emerging markets in the global uh, international financial system. So one of the propellers of the emerging markets to create this bank was also to, to give greater prominence to the, the voice of, of emerging markets. And as this bank grows, it is likely to become more like the emerging markets uh, voice. Make no mistake, we will have developed countries as members as we as we grow in the next 18 months, two years. We hope to be uh, to attract, you know, the last European nations uh, and all other uh, non-borrowing members who are part of the global system. But I think the core of the bank, 80% of the equity of the bank will always be in the hands of emerging markets. So our character will be slightly different to the other institutions where, you know, uh, Europe, uh, Japan and the United States combined they're able to effectively veto, for example, major decisions within World Bank Group and others, it would not be possible given the articles of agreement or the, the constitutional makeup of, of the, the new development bank. So that's one key uh, aspect to, to highlight. So we will lend into the large emerging uh, markets. And um, as I said, we, we hope to also attract uh, non-boring members over time. So it's of the emerging markets and for the emerging markets. And... Um... Perhaps you could just comment on how you work with some of the other banks, because I know, you know, Asian Development Bank is in the region and... Uh... By definition, as you've just highlighted, Martin, we are sister uh, institutions. We have uh, the global public good at the core of our mandate. We are all combined in our, our efforts around sustainability. We co-finance projects as a matter of uh, course. The uh, chief financial officers of all the multilateral banks, for example, meet on a monthly basis. I speak to my colleagues on a regular basis. The chief risk officers meet regularly. The presidents and the head of the MDBs meet regularly. We are a, a system in many respects. In fact, Martin, we are now looking at ways of leveraging off the system better, meaning looking at the complementarities between the institutions and leveraging off the comparative advantages of each, because some have developed deeper sector capabilities, have developed deeper capabilities in technology, for example, in green technologies. So uh, we are working very closely, for example, with AIIB. We are co-financing projects with them. We are doing the metro in Mumbai, uh, which is one of the largest cities in India, uh, as a co-financed uh, project. And increasingly going forward, you will see us uh, working in a in a strong collaborative fashion with the with the other institutions. That's good to hear. I think uh, complementarity is really important there, and uh, it's it's good to hear that you're working with the uh, the other relevant institutions in the area. Now, you you also mentioned that uh, you know since your very inception, you've had really a sustainable focus, and I'd like to just drill into that for a second. And perhaps you can talk about uh, your environmental, social, and sustainability goals. And in particular, how do your goals and your strategy fit into the, the global goals of the Paris Agreement and the various net zero pledges and timeframes for those from uh, national governments? I think I'd like to start by saying that multilateral banks have a unique 
and special role to play in the sort of sustainability uh, arena. And therefore, it's not, you know, a, a story of us setting ambitious targets for ourselves in terms of how green our portfolios are. That is the smallest part, in my view. I think we have a major role to play alongside global bodies like you, like ICMA, to do advocacy around sustainability. And linked to that, I think, as you've already highlighted earlier on, Martin, these institutions can play a leading, a, a catalytic and a pioneering role in, 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 in identifying the new frontiers. For example, in 2007, the European Investment Bank issued the first green bond. It was a tiny market during 2008, 2009, 10, 11. Only multilateral banks issued green bonds up until 2012. The market then exploded, as you know, over the last five, six years. And today it has uh, it's exceeded uh, $1 trillion in no small part for leadership role that ICMA and other, others have played in uh, harmonizing standards, in, in codifying what those uh, standards are. So that catalytic role, that idea of us not just you know leveraging our, or using our own finance, but looking at the the leadership role, catalytic role we can play in the entire industry is a big focus uh, for us today. So as we look towards net zero now, and as you know, in 2015, all MDBs committed themselves to direct their financial flows towards the uh, Paris uh, Climate uh, Agreement. Now a lot of efforts have been going into that endeavor over the last five years. We suspect, not we know that post COP26 in Glasgow this year, there's going to be a new agenda that will emerge as what happened in Paris in 2015 that will um, define, if you like, the new roadmap for uh, the future. So we've got our internal targets. We will have 40% of our total exposures will be in the climate finance uh, area. I think, as I said, the ambition is much bigger. We want to look at what can we do because we've got this development uh, public good mandate to do things that can enable and and de-risk projects to to mobilize more private sector capital and to to make the sustainability financing arena more attractive for your large institutional investors. Because if you look at the total size of all the multilateral banks, total assets is around $2 trillion. Um, uh, Martin, and as you know, 500 institutional um, uh, investors out there, the savings industry is more than $120 trillion. So we are a minute, we are a tiny drop in the ocean. But the role we can play to catalyze, the role we can play to be the sort of vanguard around sustainability is, is outsized, uh, given our the, the, the potential in ways in which we can use our instruments. No, that's well understood, and I think uh, your um, your catalytic role is uh, is something that's uh, you know, can't be um, uh, overemphasized. So that's that's very exciting. Now, um, on a slightly related topic, moving on to the social side, you commented in your introduction about the work that you've been doing in terms of uh, supporting economies as they emerge, hopefully emerge from the uh, the pandemic. And uh, in that context, I know that you've done a sustainable bond issue. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about this particular bond. I'm sure our our listeners would be as well. And in particular, the use of proceeds. And uh, I'd be interested also to understand how your mandate has sort of developed during the course of the pandemic as we look forward to rebuilding economies, possibly through the use of uh, social bonds in in a bigger way. Indeed, all of us, all the multilateral banks had to go back to the drawing boards uh, beginning of last year. And in March last year, the heads of the multilateral banks came together. The World Bank IMF played a very critical role in that. The G20 played a very critical role in that with what we titled, you know, emergency 
COVID response uh, packages. The New Development Bank came up with a $10 billion emergency response uh, program. And that was very much sort of earmarked for uh, around two principal objectives. One, to help our countries beef up their public health systems to fight COVID-19. And the other half of our response is very much being around ways in which we can aid and support the economic recovery. We did this in two parts. We divided the $10 billion emergency support program into a support for the public health emergency uh, crisis, the pandemic, in other words, and the other $5 billion for the economic recovery. So when we issued our debut US dollar bond uh, last year, it was labeled as a COVID response uh, bond. And subsequent to that, as you've just highlighted, we also issued a 5 billion um, SDG bond here in China in the renminbi uh, uh, market. And we're very proud uh, about the fact that we are now one of the largest um, uh, panda bond issuers here in um, uh, China. And uh, uh, also that our first entree into the capital markets was a green bond. The first bond we've ever issued uh, as an institution was a green bond in 2016 in uh, July. So we are now looking at broadening that. We have what we call a sustainable finance framework uh, Martin, which sets out the ideas around how we look at use of uh, proceeds. And we are now under that umbrella, also wanting to explore issuing hopefully the first blue bond here uh, onshore in uh, China. So the, the bank is committed to do the bulk of its financing in the social, uh, sustainable and green uh, arenas. That's good to hear. That's uh, obviously very close to our hearts at ICMA running the, the green social sustainable bond principles, sustainability linked bond principles as well. So that's that's great. But of course, um, you mentioned earlier also some of the development projects. You, you've talked a little bit about the, um, the metro system in Mumbai. Very interesting to hear about that. Can you profile some of the other major investment projects that you're involved with? Sure. I mean, the I would say that if you look at our total portfolio, uh, a couple of sectors dominate. Firstly, uh, transport. Uh, secondly, uh, energy. Uh, thirdly, uh, water and, and 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 other urban-related uh, urban development uh, projects. On the on the energy side, I think I already flagged that, for example, all of our projects are in the renewable space. Total 2,800 megawatts of clean uh, power. In transport, for example, we have uh, um, constructed so far about 15,700 uh, kilometers of roads, uh, 830 uh, bridges. Um, now, it, and, and, and a lot of these bridges, for example, are in India. And if you just think about a, a bridge, a simple construct like a, a, a bridge can enable children from remote villages to have you know, uh, access to, to uh, schools and for, for uh, uh, villages to have access to, to markets. Uh, so there's a significant improvement in the quality of, of life just through the construction of a bridge as an, as an example. In total, I mean, the calculation suggests that 5.5 million tons of CO2 emissions would be avoided here uh, if you look at our overall portfolio. Going forward, or let me just also mention one or two uh, other uh, projects in, in China. We've got a couple of large offshore wind projects in the Fujian uh, province. We've got solar rooftop, uh, a 40 megawatt um, rooftop project in Lingang in Shanghai, and also a lot of renewable energy focused projects in uh, South Africa, as well as um, Brazil. Going forward, as I uh, mentioned, 
there is a um, there'll be a strong focus on water. Uh, many of our countries, China in particular, South Africa, India, these are water scarce uh, countries. Uh, Martin, water is often uh, as as one of the scarce resources of these large emerging markets. It's often uh, doesn't get all the, the necessary focus in the in the development uh, space. But uh, because of our large um, water scarcity uh, challenge, we will be devoting. We have in South Africa now, for example, a project that will look at. Uh, extending, building additional dams in just outside South Africa in a country called Lesotho. Uh, we already have what's called the Lesotho Highlands Water Project. We will be financing phase two of that project that provides water to um, Gauteng, the main economic hub in uh, South Africa. So we are very much at the center of the infrastructure development plans in the, the five BRICS countries. That's very interesting. And when you look at that transport, energy, roads, bridges, waters, they all absolutely lend themselves to sustainable financing. So uh, that's really good. And within the countries, I mean, you've profiled some of them, but within the countries, are there any particular countries you would single out as being particularly in need of your services? I mean, I would say, as you know, the largest uh, markets within the BRICS are obviously China and uh, India. We have a very robust pipeline from these two countries. They have probably the most aggressive infrastructure rollout. You know, a lot of people assume that China is developed because they look at the pictures of all the eastern cities that are very well developed, you know, the Shenzhen's and the Shanghai's and, and, and so on. But, you know, China, and the, uh, central China and western China, there's a massive demand for, for infrastructure. Just, I mean, Xinjiang province, for example, they'll be building something like 14 airports, you know, for the next uh, five-year uh, plan. So China and India are, are the largest economies in GDP terms, so the demand is a lot more robust. We have strong demand also from Brazil, from from South Africa, from from Russia, but because of the sheer size of of China and India and the much bigger uh, need for infrastructure rollout, uh, we have huge pipeline of uh, projects in these countries. And as I said, it's a combination of new power, clean power, uh, roads, uh, airports, upgrading of ports, uh, bridges, and so on. Thank you. I think for the the last topic, I'd like to change tack a little bit. And we spent a lot of time talking about sustainability. And the other big global theme at the moment is fintech and digitization. And I know that uh, your president, uh, Marcus Troyo, he discussed in a re- recent interview the, the opportunities around technology and how technology could be applied to infrastructure. And I'd be interested to hear from you, if if that's okay, some of your own initiatives and the opportunities that you believe that um, uh, fintech and digitization can bring to your operations. Absolutely, Martin. I mean, that is really at the center of the new mandate, if you like, of all the multilateral banks, not just the new development bank. Martin, we cannot continue to build infrastructure in the way that we have done uh, before. Uh, these um, roads and bridges and power uh, infrastructure will become uh, obsolete in years to come if we do not keep track and pace with the unfolding uh, digital uh, transformation. So uh, the way you design uh, roads, uh, you know, has to conceptualize the notion of autonomous cars into the uh, future. The the ports of the of the future they look very different to the ones that we have uh, today. So every piece of infrastructure has to be redefined within the sort of net zero uh, world. So so the one side is the sort of uh, sustainability uh, 
agenda and the need for new business models, new approaches, new designs, and the other is to keep pace with technology. But obviously, the two are combined. The, the, the most exciting part of the sustainability revolution is the fact that the, there's this untapped potential of uh, digital technologies that will create the new possibilities that you and I cannot even discuss today. In short, there will be, we have a lot of, I mean, many uh, people move from the assumption that technology will provide uh, these solutions, the market will provide uh, 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 solutions because of the opportunities that come from the, the, the sustainability uh, revolution, meaning new businesses will find new ways to generate returns. And uh, just recently, actually, I saw a survey which indicated the massive rise in venture capital going into the green um, and sustainable uh, industries, which means that more and more companies will come out of that space that we in turn will, will help grow and finance their growth going uh, forward. So in short, the, there's still a lot of untapped potential in the digital uh, world. We will be financing more, for example, uh, smart cities uh, is, is, is a major focus in, in India, as well as here in uh, China, just to enable government to, um, to digitize its uh, services um, and create smart infrastructure, which is all about, to be honest, it's about improving the quality of life of people and uh, uh, citizens as we clean up the air in, in cities, as we improve the transport uh, systems moving towards more green, more smart uh, uh, solutions. We are combining both tapping into the technology and greening the infrastructure. That's very exciting. And, uh, you know, smart cities, smart infrastructure, that's looking at the the impact of fintech and technology on the on the asset side, but also on the liability side, the digitization of capital markets must be an area that you are following very, very closely. And I'm sure there are going to be some major developments uh, coming through in that yeah. even more than we have at yeah. the moment. And the final point I'd like to, to make also to you, Martin, is that um, one of the real positive spin-offs of this whole focus on net zero is that it's shifting the lenses. It is providing unified long-term strategies for businesses, for companies, for governments, policymakers, regulators. 10, 15, 20 years ago, I don't think we would have had a conversation here about what your plans are um, if, you, if you run a particular company in 30 years. Today, um, you, your business will become obsolete if you do not come up with a net zero strategy, not just a, a target, but uh, that I think the CEO of BlackRock, for example, indicated that in their portfolio companies and their $8 trillion market cap company, as you know, one of the most strongest asset managers out there, they're giving leadership to this idea that their portfolio companies must come up with net zero strategies. So what this net zero movement towards sustainability has done, it has shifted the lenses long-term and our industry, as you know, in finance is very short-term focused. People are, companies are focused on short-term profitability, quarterly returns, annual returns, governments are focused on four-year election cycles, and so on. What we have now is a, 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 a focus and preoccupation with, with net zero and what it means. And, and, and this is, will have positive ramifications uh, for, for, for the world. Absolutely agree with you. I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's very exciting to uh, see that. And uh, the debate has shifted, I think, from just financing what is currently green to how can the capital markets facilitate transition and uh, the move to net zero in the future. And I think that's, that's a very exciting challenge for all of us going forward. But look, Leslie, it's been fascinating. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. 
But um, first, I'd like to congratulate the New Development Bank and, and you also personally for the incredible progress that you've made over such a short period. As you're, you said rightly, development, multilateral development bank has been going for the last 75 years. You're the new kid on the block and you've already made enormous strides going forward into areas that really need your services in terms of providing infrastructure. So all we can do is wish you well, look forward to supporting you in that journey. And uh, thank you again very much for sharing your, your insights today. This is Martin Cech speaking with Leslie Marsdorp, CFO of the New Development Bank. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.